Hi, I'm Sarah, and this is Mind Tracker. Welcome back. To support the show, you can head over to Patreon forward slash Mind Tracker. And for suggestions, feedback, and questions, you can write to me at info at mindtracker.org. So last episode, I made an effort to showcase the importance of the mind in having breakthroughs or not having breakthroughs. So I shared two stories of my friends and how the mind was the single component which had caused two very contrasting results in both of their lives. And I ended the episode with a promise that I will be talking about the subconscious mind in this episode. So here I am with a lot of my research and a lot of my points and I am ready. Let's get started. For those of you who haven't heard the first episode, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. The mind has two faculties, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. The conscious mind is what causes us to act, emote, and think. It is responsible for these three areas. And it is completely dependent upon the programming of the subconscious mind. So the subconscious mind is the back end coding that we have. And we're completely and utterly dependent on this code. The subconscious mind starts to form in infancy when we are just getting the hang of becoming humans. We start to observe and grab things from our environment and try to make sense of who we are, what this life is. In other words, we form our worldview, the view of ourselves, the view of other people, starting from infancy. And we are at a little bit of a disadvantage because we don't even have the cognitive abilities to think for ourselves and know whether we are programming ourselves with the right beliefs or the wrong beliefs. And we are dependent on other people around us, our caretakers, our environment, our friends, siblings, family. And whatever they think about life, Whatever they think about themselves, about other people, about us, is what we form as absolute facts in our subconscious mind. We think that this is the book through which we will know how to live life. And we grow up with that belief system, that programming. So to showcase the importance of programming, I want to give you an example. Let's say that there is a child who has been programmed to believe that he is not lovable. There is something inadequate about him. He does not deserve to be loved. He is going to grow up believing that he is not lovable and he's going to approach relationships with this belief. And his reason for getting into a relationship is also going to be drastically different. He's going to be getting into relationships to find somebody who loves him. And his approach may come across as desperate, as clingy, as somebody who doesn't give a space. He probably is also going to be the one who is oversharing, overgiving, doing too much. And that is because he believes he's an adequate. And so he has to do more to compensate for the inadequacy. And obviously, this kind of behavior from a partner is not attractive. And a lot of people pull away. They feel suffocated. They feel that they don't have their space and they have to validate their love to this person 
quite a few times, a lot more than normal couples. And when they pull away, the person who is brought up with the belief that they are not lovable is going to go like, ah, see, I knew I'm not lovable. And so no matter what I do, I'm not enough. And the cycle repeats. And though this is a very robust example of programming and its impact, it is true. This is what happens all the time. And not in just one aspect of our lives, but in multiple aspects of our lives. We work with the programming that we are given. And I'm going to add a contrast here to show what a good programming can do. So if a child is taught that he is lovable, he is going to grow up having great self-esteem. He's going to have a different approach to relationships. He already has the love for himself because he believes he's lovable. He already has the self-respect and self-esteem that comes with being lovable. So his approach to relationships is quite different. He wants to go into relationships to find somebody who's compatible with him, who can make him as happy as he makes himself. And when he showcases this self-respect in himself, this self-love for him, he's going to attract a lot of people who will give him the same respect and the same love that he feels for himself. And he's probably going to end up with somebody or is more likely to end up with somebody who shows him the same respect and the same love that he gives himself. And so the trajectory of both of these people's love life got drastically impacted by the beliefs they had about themselves as they were growing up. And these beliefs are what I'm calling the programming of the subconscious mind. I only spoke about relationships, but similarly, this programming is affecting people's careers, their personal lives, their lives with friends, their outlook on life, what they're getting out of life, everything. Our programming truly changes our life and has a huge impact on our life, much more than we usually credit it to have. And so if you want to understand your programming and if there is something that you want to change, it would be highly useful to look at repeating cycles in your life, patterns which are repeating, perhaps in your relationship, in your finances, in your achievements, in your home life, in how people perceive and respond to you. It is a good opportunity to understand that very complex cycles, which are repeating in our lives again and again and again, can actually be brought down to just one belief that we have about ourselves or about other people or about our finances, about hard work, and usually these beliefs are formed in childhood, just when we're growing up and forming our subconscious mind. And while you're observing these cycles, consider observing it without any shame or guilt. And if it is too much for you, if it is a bit too personal for you, consider observing somebody else's cycles. Cycles in their lives, which you know and you're aware of closely you're going to realize that it is something that they believe which is reflected in their reality. 
the next natural question that arises is, if we are aware of the programming that we want to change, how do we change it? And when we change it, how do we keep it? And so that is what the next segment of the episode is going to be about. Changing or reprogramming our subconscious mind. Here we go. The subconscious mind's programming can be divided into three parts. The first is introduction. The second is making space. And the third is settling in. So in the introduction phase, you're essentially aware of the programming that you want to wipe out and are also aware of the new programming that you want to bring in. And you start making conscious efforts to bring in the new programming. So you're probably using techniques like affirmations, journaling, or just talking to yourself in the mirror, whatever it takes for you to really adhere to this new programming. This is an important phase because you're now aware of what was not working for you and what you want in its place to work for you. The second phase is making space. This is the phase where the two programmings, the old and the new, kind of have a tug of war in your mind. The old programming is probably there for a while. So you are used to following the old programming. Remember, your conscious mind is dependent on the programming in your subconscious mind. So all the actions, thoughts, and emotions that you have were in alignment with the old programming. Now, when you bring in the new programming, you're going to have a little bit of a tussle between the two. And it may appear that you're forcing yourself to follow the new programming. But that is a mandatory step in order to replace your old programming. So to explain this phenomenon best, I want to talk about a very famous ice climber. Her name is Kitty Kulhan, or her name is Kitty Calhoun. I think I butchered her name, so apologies for that. Um, Kitty is an ice climber. She lives in Denver, Colorado, and goes in very harsh climates to climb big slabs of ice. Most of these climbs are completely vertical. They're not even angled. So there are a few things that Kitty cannot afford to do, and that is be scared of risk and be scared of heights. But she was not always this way. Growing up, she was expected to be a southern belle, a debutante, somebody who's poised, ladylike, wears dresses, and follows the social norms. But she snatched herself out of that image and gave herself a new identity, which was an ice climber. I want to pause a bit and talk about the word identity and its importance. It is quite interesting how there is a transition from the old identity to the new identity and how this transition causes a completely new version of a person to emerge. The old identity or the old kitty, let's say, was one who was scared of heights. But the new version finds it exhilarating. Definitely scared of heights still, but not enough to keep her at home. She now goes for long hours in cold climate 
scraping her way through an ice slab. It's possible that when you start to change your programming and when you start to wipe out the old programming, you will have to pretty much force yourself and talk yourself into taking the right actions and thinking the right way in order for the new programming to prevail. Your brain is wired to follow the old programming, so it's not an easy and swift task to wipe it off and get a new programming in your mind and work with that. It takes some time. But don't hesitate and don't be scared because the good news is that if it's taking you time to wipe out this old programming, it's probably going to take you a lot of time to wipe out this new programming as well. Which means that once you reprogram your mind, it's going to remain. It's going to stay until you choose to reprogram it again. So talking about the making space phase, that is when your old programming and when your new programming are in a tug of war, remember? That is also the time when you have to push yourself to take the actions, think the way and emote the way that the new programming would want you to emote. It's possible that during this phase, a lot of your fears start to surface. After all, you're telling your subconscious mind that, hey, your programming didn't work and I'm going to change it entirely. It is threatened and scared, and so are you to some extent. There is uncertainty with this new programming, so a lot of your fears are going to start to surface. Let's use an example of a singer who is an excellent singer in the bathroom but hasn't ever been on stage. And has now taken a decision to start singing professionally. There has to be a shift in identity from being a bathroom singer to now being a professional singer. And with this shift, there is going to be a lot of fears that surface. Professional singing means having enough composure that you're able to stand on the stage and sing in front of many people, thousands. You're probably going to have your videos made and going to be distributed over the internet. So there has to be a level of comfort on the stage and in front of other people. So if in this example, this person is not comfortable with being on the stage or being photographed and made videos of, they'll have to birth a new version of themselves. The version who is comfortable who is excited about it. If not excited, at least is not resisting it. And this is the phase when a lot of people give up because it is not easy to have a new version of yourself being born. You have to let go of a lot of things that you are used to. And these fears that are going to arise at this new version of yourself, such as being on stage or talking to millions of people, they are not going to come to you straight away. Yeah, that's the tricky part. They're usually going to come in the form of another challenge, like procrastination, or unattended emotions, or missing an ex all of a sudden, <laughs> or just surfacing of emotions that you never thought you had. And you'll be sitting wondering, why am I having all of these emotions and all of these problems when I'm trying to change my life, this is so challenging. 
But that is exactly what your subconscious mind wants you to believe. That you are in a challenging situation. But what's happening is the fears that you have are simply camouflaging themselves and appearing in different forms. So what should you do? And what can we do in this situation? When you sit with yourself and you think about why you're having any resistance towards this change, you're going to realize that there are a lot of fears that you need to look in the eye and resolve. And that is a perfect opportunity to actually facilitate this change. When you start looking at a fear and you start dismantling it and taking the pieces away, you will notice that it again is a belief of yourself. So if somebody is scared of being on stage, perhaps they were bullied when they were younger by an adult, by a kid at school. They must have gotten in a place where they felt that they are not good enough to be shown to other people. And that forms a belief that it is best to not showcase yourself to other people. Otherwise, you're going to invite criticism. So when you spot your fears, you can talk to them. You can understand their root and remove them entirely from your subconscious mind. In childhood, when our mind is being formed, incidents and words have greater weight because we are still in infancy. We depend on other people for support and for power. We are depending on them to make sense of the world and ourselves. You are little and unaware, dependent of other people to support you, embrace you, take care of you. You hadn't come into your own and that lack of formation of self makes us feel naive, disempowered, unimportant. So when a fear arises as we grow up, address it. Go to its root cause. When you set in the practice of facing your fears, you take the power away from them. Now you can rationalize them. And once you start rationalizing your fears, that is when you're facilitating your change and you have successfully made your way through Phase number two, which is the making space phase. And now is the settling in phase. In this phase, you have already made peace with the new identity. You don't have doubts about it. You just have to get into the right routine with it. So if your new identity requires you to go to the gym three times a week, that is what you must do. And if it requires you to become more confident while speaking, then that is what you must embody. So the settling in phase is actually embodying your new programming. And this embodiment is the last phase. It is, you know, sometimes people are embodying their new version for years and takes a while. But if you can do it, maybe you can do it in a, in a month or maybe it will take you a while that doesn't matter. I think at this point you should applaud yourself that you have come to this embodiment phase and really celebrate it. When you think about your programming, when you think about yourself, I think the only thing people want to experience in life is to be completely happy and fulfilled within themselves. And this journey that we have towards our self-realization 
is one of the most beautiful journeys human beings can set themselves on. Whether it is programming yourself, whether it is chasing a dream or it is chasing a goal, anything that requires you to get in touch with yourself, be your authentic self, embody your truest version, is like the final goal. It's the icing on the cake. It is extremely fulfilling and it is the most peaceful place to be in. And so I hope that you, after this episode, are able to have a little bit of an introspection where you assess yourself and see which areas of your life require you to reprogram yourself. And come back next week as I share another episode. All right, folks, that's all I have for today. Take care and I'll see you soon. To support the show, you can head over to Patreon forward slash MindTracker. And for suggestions, feedback and questions, you can write to me at info at MindTracker.org.